Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. You know, when you talk to a lot of people, as you and I do, 
um, you know, you find some very common themes out there. And so what I've been finding at the, the Amber Dragon is that, you know, people are struggling. They're struggling a bit. Yes, but they're they are. struggling on a, you know, on a very deep level. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not superficial. It's not trite. You know, people aren't struggling with, you know, cosmetic issues. People are struggling internally, you know, with, um, you know, with that whole concept of, of spirit and, you know, philosophical differences, you know, how the, the world is running right now. I mean, there are a lot of very profound issues that are pretty much hitting us in the face every day. And, you know, for the folks that are drawn into metaphysical shops and spiritual circles like, you know, the, at the Amber Dragon and, and some other venues and certainly, you know, with your work at the library, these are the people that, that are kind of the barometer for change because we feel it. You know, we're empathic. We sense it. Right. Um, you know, so we're part of the struggle because it's, it's just, it's just affecting us on a on a molecular level right now. So we're very much in the rough. We're very much in that kind of raw state. And um, you know, we, at our meditation a couple of weeks ago, I was referring to the mullen plant. Um, you know, mullen is this. You know, it's a pretty. It can be a pretty prolific um, weed, if you will. But you see these these leaves. They look like fuzzy. Um, elephant ears and the plant itself shoots straight up and can be quite tall and um, the blossoms are these tiny little yellow flowers that form in a cone uh, and it's you know mullen's got a lot of um, medicinal qualities to it and not just for for uh, humans but for our pets as well we can make ear salves and ointments um, out of mullen and the leaves themselves are you know, pretty soft and comfortable to the touch. Um, but mullen itself grows best in soil that has been recently traumatized. So we That's see mullen growing. You know, yeah, we, we see it growing best in, you know, like where they've done recent excavation. And so uh -huh. it's, it's a real nice metaphor for, you know, for ourselves right now, you know, if we can, if we can find a way to kind of plant ourselves in the rough and work through it, you know, we have an opportunity to blossom and really give something back, you know, and I, and I think that's really the theme for tonight. Okay, that's a very interesting uh, concept and a very interesting way of looking at it. Well, I mean, it's, you know, we have to kind of come up with um, with things that make sense, right? Because right. people will only buy in if, if something makes sense. And, and to say, you know, when somebody tells you they're struggling, and to just kind of throw your hands up and say, yeah, you know, you got me, I'm struggling too, you know, I good luck to you, and, you know, come back when you find a solution for all of us. It, it just doesn't uh -huh. really work that way. You know what I mean? Um, yes. But to find that struggle as a common ground that moves us all forward and to kind of 
share from the empathic um, place and say, you know, yeah, I'm really feeling that too, um, but here's, here are my thoughts about it. Um, suddenly, it's not, the, the struggle isn't an end point. It isn't, you know, a bomb that's been dropped on us or, a, you know, a payment for something that, you know, we didn't do right in this life or the last. Um, suddenly, it's a journey. Suddenly, it's, it's part of um, the evolution. And if we can, if we can make that so, uh, then it becomes fuel, not fodder. I don't know if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Right. So, so the the challenge, you know, Hercules, um, how do we do that? Now, right. How do we, you know, how do we do that? First of all, for ourselves, because if if we're not in that place ourselves, we certainly can't bring anybody else into that place. So, Virgin. you know, that's the first. You know, that's the first question. How how do you perceive um, how do you perceive struggle? You know, it's it's part of human existence. You know, it's a dynamic that every human being living on the planet goes through. The very um, the very journey of birth to get us to this planet in the first place you know, is is the first, you know, of our conscious struggles. When we go back to the, you know, my original conversation about the actual implantation of the egg in the womb, you know, from our very beginning, we are a blend of struggle and evolution. So what's right. our, you know, pers- personally, what's your... What's your perception of that? You know, how do you view um, struggle in your life? You know, is it something that overcomes you and paralyzes you? Or is it fuel um, that challenges you and moves you forward? Well, for me, uh, I lift weights. And uh, with uh, weightlifting, you use a technique called progressive resistance. Uh, which is basically continuously challenging yourself. Um, and whatever system you use, you get to the point where the system no longer works for you, even though it worked for a long time. So you have to keep changing the system and find something that works. So I've always accepted this as a metaphor for life, that uh, you know, basically you try different ways of uh, struggling to accomplish certain ends, and some are productive, uh, but they're not going to be productive forever. So you constantly have to uh, change and grow and find new ways of doing things so that you can uh, accomplish uh, your goals. So uh, weightlifting in that way is a very spiritual exercise um, in that by practicing it, you remind yourself of uh, what process you need to go through to affect any type of change. Mm. And uh, and I also, you know, in uh, my earlier life, um, did a lot of bodybuilding, and uh-huh. uh, all natural bodybuilding. But you know, it it's it's truly a way of aligning yourself, you know, body, mind, and spirit through your breath, because right. you have to, 
you really have to just, you know, breathe into that, that space of your muscles and your bones and your blood, and you have to establish a rhythm within yourself that moves you through the, the you know, the course that you're taking with, with the weightlifting. And, um, right. you know, it becomes, I, I don't know about you, but for me, um, it was almost trance-like, you know, when I was mm-hmm. in that groove and I was doing those repetitions, um, nothing else existed. You know, I didn't hear right. anything else in the gym. I wasn't aware of anyone else around me because it was all working with my body and my breath to accomplish my goal. Right, and the focus is very important because if you don't focus on what you're doing, you could injure yourself. So you really need to focus on the movement of the weights, especially if you're doing them on a bench and over your head and neck. Uh, Because you could literally kill yourself. So uh, it's very important to remain focused and uh, uh, single-minded in what you're trying to do. So it's so funny, right, because... If you think about that, when whenever we choose to challenge ourselves, be it right. um, physical exercise like weightlifting or running or, you know, now I do yoga, um, you know, really any form of, of physical exercise where you're challenging yourself or mental exercise, you know, where you right. are, you know, um, really trying to improve your memory or your recall or, you know, um, competitions like, you know, spelling and mathematics, that kind of stuff. When we do that stuff electively, we move into the struggle. We embrace it. We see it as our partner. We see it as a means to an end. You know, like, you know, feeling the burn, loving that, right? I mean, you know how how exhilarating those endorphins are at the end of a workout. Yes. And yet, we don't approach struggle the same way if we perceive that it's being um, done to us. So those challenges at work. You know, the morning commute, the challenges of the weather, you know, that stuff, we don't use it as fuel. I mean, it's an interesting thing when you stop and think about it, right? Right. But what's the difference, really? What's the difference between, you know, going to the gym, paying for the opportunity to lift weight, you know, stretch your muscles, feel exhausted later, Versus getting through the course of your day where maybe you have to mow the lawn or clean the house or lift the kids and carry them around. What's the difference? The difference, I think, is because in uh, bodybuilding or weightlifting, we have a particular goal in mind. Whereas we don't always extend that into the other areas in our lives that provide us with uh, resistance where we can apply the principles of progressive resistance. And I think it's also the quality of the goal. Okay. Right. Because when we're doing that, when we're doing something that we think is 
productive resistance and moving us forward, okay, we feel good about that. But if if it's not something that, you know, we've made a choice to do, then our goal is basically to survive it. Right. Now, when we're working out, when we're going to the gym, when we're, you know, when we're doing those kinds of things for ourselves, we're not just saying, oh, my God, I just have to get through this. Let Mm -hmm. me just get through this and get on with the rest of my life. We're, like, all in, you know, total focus. So, you know, think about how, you know, talk about a shift, right? Think about how that would shift absolutely every mundane activity in your life if you were just simply all in. And if you saw the struggle as, you know, fuel for moving you forward. And if you celebrated those struggles as each and every day accomplishments. That's a very uh, productive and healthy way of looking at the whole concept of uh, uh, resistance and struggle. Well, I, you know, and it, it all goes back really to, you know, to the concept that, you know, Buddhism embraces, right, which is really that every moment is a perfect moment. And if we're fully aware, awake, and present in that moment, it becomes beautiful. You know, um, there is no distinction between a rainy day and a sunny day if every day is beautiful, if we see right. the beauty in that. You know what I mean? So when we, when we choose to see the drudgery in taking out the garbage and doing the laundry and you know, vacuuming and, you know, being called into your boss's office for the 14th time to answer to some form of data that, you know, isn't making sense to him. If we see that as a drudgery, it just is going to become that. It's going to become an ugly moment. But if we can celebrate the fact that we are present in that moment and that we are capable of doing that, that moment, right, then Mm -hmm. it becomes something that moves us forward, that charges us up. And so I I think that that in and of itself really is the shift. I mean, everybody keeps talking about this as if it's something we're all waiting for that's going to kind of come on gilded wings, right, Right. like Y2K or, right, uh, you know, Like we're just going to wake up one morning and there's just going to be this, you know, purple sky and the clouds are going to be orange and we're going to know that it's out there. But really the shift is so much more subtle and I think that that's what we're preparing ourselves for is to kind of get that, you know, because I think there's a level of enlightenment that is evolving in us right now as a, as a, as a civilization. And I think that that is really what the shift is all about. I would agree with you. I think that, uh, you know, basically how we view things affect uh, how we experience things. 
And uh, if we see ourselves as victimized, then we're going to be victims and powerless. If we see ourselves as agents of change, uh, then we empower ourselves and we feel uh, able to deal with the changes and to help guide the future. And and that's a huge difference for us. And you know yes, when you look at you know when you look at you know how much more open um, humanity has become to things like difference. You know, our ability to embrace crisis around the world and to feel that and to want to participate in that and to want to, you know, show, you know, the people that are immediately and directly affected that we are kind of, that we are with them, that we are aware of them and reaching in to help rather than just, consider it as some, you know, news story about some foreign entity that has no bearing on our lives. I think it's making the world a smaller place, and I think that that, that's the awareness that's growing, and I think that's the shift, you know, that um, we're, we're kind of able to move into that struggle with the people around us and you know, reach for the humanity rather than the difference. And um, so I I think that's all kind of part of it. And I know that that's really one of the common themes that we explore whenever we come together in in sacred space um, at the dragon, because when you you open it up in that way, you find that, um, you know, people share their stories, you know, people want to be heard and um, they really want an open forum where they can express themselves without judgment. Oh, no, that, that is very, very true. And uh, um, I like using uh, the Olympian heroic path as a metaphor for the path that I'm on because uh, the heroes are flawed, sometimes fatally flawed, but that doesn't prevent them, even though they're the children of the gods, from accomplishing great things. And I think a lot of people in our culture, if they're not perfect, they're afraid to put themselves forth uh, because there's something negative about them that somebody could seize onto. But none of us are perfect. All of us have made mistakes. All of us are fatally flawed. But it shouldn't prevent us from using our talents, our abilities, to make this world a better place. And I, I feel it's a very big test for people because uh, as a culture, we seem to like erecting heroes and then flinging poo at them like monkeys you know, once we put them on pedestals. And uh, <laughs> that's a habit we need to break if we're going to move past the, uh, um, the, the mentality we're currently stuck in. Oh, you know what I... <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing, Hercules, you know, like you, you think about all the good, you know, that, that people do. And yet, you know, that one dark moment is what we focus on, you know, uh, you know, to go back to, you know, um, that famous, uh, 
soliloquy about Julius Caesar, right? Um, you know, the good men does oft, you know, is interred in their bones, right? But we remember all the bad. And, you know, you look at this, this frantic and frenzied, um, you know, new, um, uh, I, don't, I don't even know what's going to trend, where, you know, we are abolishing all these statues, you know, all over right. the place because, you know, now we have the technology to look back in time and say, you know what, okay, yes, yeah. so, you know, he, they found penicillin, but did you know that they also did this or that or the other thing? You know, I, we're all in our own way part of the solution and, you know, partly our own worst enemies. Because right. I don't think there's a, a human being born that hasn't, um, you know, said something wrong at one point to somebody. And it's just, you know, again, I, I don't know, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And um, I, I just think it's, it's, you know, it's just kind of silly that we can't just, um, you know, within reason, obviously, see that the, the good things that people do. And, um, you know, in my own work, um, I, you know, and I, and I know I've shared with you that I have recently been initiated as a first-degree priestess. And that is awesome. Alex- Thank you. In the Alexandrian uh, tradition of witchcraft, you know, which is a, right. a hereditary line of witchcraft from uh, Kent, England. And, you know, Alex Sanders and Gerald Gardner were, you know, um, they were compadres. You know, Alex Sanders was a Gardnerian um, priest before he kind of moved off on his own and, and um, you know, developed the Alexandrian tradition. But, you know, he was a man. You know, Alex, right. Alex Sanders was a, a man. And, uh, you know, as such, a flawed uh, carbon-based life form. So, you know, you can actually turn around and say, well, you know, listen, you know, what he did for occultism and what he did for the resurgence of witchcraft, um, both in Europe and, um, and uh, you know, in the United States, is phenomenal and essential. And, you know, definitely that was his life quest. Um, or you can say, you know, basically he was, a, you know, an egomaniac and, you know, uh, liked power and uh, pretty women and all kinds of stuff like that. I mean, it's right. your choice, you know. It's your choice to um, to choose your value system with that stuff. Uh, but, you know, I think you've got to choose your value system accepting the fact that, you know, there might be somebody standing behind you in uh, 40 years who might recall, you know, that thing you said in the sixth grade um, right, before right. you became, you know, enlightened. So, um, Well, it's a, it's a weird think. type of thing. And a lot of people ask me why Hercules. And uh, I always tell them because Hercules, the lesson in that is that you can be the son of the highest god of your pantheon and still have a really difficult time with human incarnation. And that no matter how imperfect you are at being a human, 
you still have in you enough to contribute toward the growth and evolution of humanity and in making the world a better place. So I don't expect on the Herculean path to be a perfect human, uh, but I expect to be at my best as I attempt to do uh, that which is the highest that I can conceive. And will I fail? Yes, most certainly so. My God failed. So there's no shame in failing. There's shame in never trying. Well, I think sometimes, you know, it's the very struggle with the flaw that speaks the loudest of your humanity. You know, right. Um, some of our greatest thinkers, some of our most amazing, profound, um, um, you know, creators in our lifetime were tremendously flawed human beings. I mean, look at, you know, um, Albert Einstein. I mean, he would have been, you know, diagnosed as an incorrigible, um, you know, on the spectrum individual today. You know, right. he was just kind of out there. I mean, if you look at Oberon Zell and, you know, all of the things that he's accomplished in his life because, you know, he's listened to that inner voice and, you know, he's um, embraced the whole of who he is, flawed or not, you know, and he's kind of an evolutionary. He's moved a whole um, culture forward. And so, you know, we have to really stop um, labeling people out of fear and out of convenience um, as a way to kind of stop progress, I think. Right. Because that, I think that makes a bigger struggle for us, you know. I mean, I, I'd like people when I'm gone to look back and say, you know what, she wasn't perfect, but she had a few good moments in there. You know, every right. once in a while she, every once in a while she made perfect sense. You know, I'll be happy with that. And she tried her best, which you do, uh, to use the understandings that she's gleaned to help other people uh, with their own journeys. And that is an awesome hmm. thing. That yes, we're not perfect. Yes, we're not exemplars. Uh, but we try our best with what we've learned to, to help other people so that they don't need to make the same mistakes that we did. Right. And even just to normalize it, I mean, because people are still going to step out and, you know, do what they feel they need to do. But, you know, just by normalizing that as part of the human experience, you know, um, this weekend I am uh, heading back up to Salem to participate in some uh, circles and some workshops uh, with the um, the coven up there that I'm now um, connected to. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I made a very conscious choice to actually drive myself um, for the first time up to Salem, which, you know, for a lot of people that probably doesn't sound like a, you know, a phenomenal act, but for me, it's a, it's a tremendous challenge yeah. because I, you know, in my heart of hearts, I know that I prefer to be driven around. I prefer to have the luxury of, you know, nodding off in the car if that's what I want to do. Um, and to actually have to stay 
um, present in the moment, whether it's traffic or inclement weather or not, um, this is really kind of a, you know, um, a journey for me. So I'm I'm excited about it, but I'm a little bit nervous, but I'm more excited than nervous. Um, but I, I think that's really, that can be said for each one of us, you know. Right. Think about tomorrow as, you know, as that journey. You know, where are you going to take yourself? You know, don't look to other people to um, move you like a current in your life on this planet. You know, how are you moving yourself? And be okay right. with the fact that sometimes when you move yourself, um, you fall down. But uh, it is part of it, and um, I, I'm kind of looking forward to, to seeing what conversations you and I have about this, you know, five years from today, to uh-huh. see, you know, what level of accuracy um, we came up with in our predictions. One of the things that I, I point out to people when I do my instruction is that they have no problems recognizing the hero in the movies that they watch or the books that they read. And the hero is the person where all the crap is happening to them. They're not having an easy time of it. Um, and they cut their heroes a lot of slack because they recognize them as the heroes. But in the drama of their own life, they often don't recognize themselves as the heroes, and they often don't cut themselves the same slack. Uh, so they beat up on themselves. Uh, for the same things that they recognize and uh, root for in their heroes. And that's something that I wish I could change. Well, you know what I think it is sometimes? See, I, I think we can't hide from our own honesty. Right. So when I'm looking at somebody else and, you know, um, I'm all in, you know, I just, I want them to achieve. I want them to be the hero. I want them to conquer whatever it is. That's the one dimension that they exist for me, right? But we we never exist one-dimensionally within ourselves. It's impossible. So because we share that darker side, even if we don't do it on the outside, it's very easy for us to heap blame and guilt on ourselves because we know those, you know, less than empathetic thoughts that we might have. You know, we know the times that maybe we didn't wish somebody well. Um, So that all kind of comes to bear, you know, when we're having a, you know, a a challenging moment, you know, we tend to beat up on ourselves a little bit more because, you know, we know the whispered truth that, you know, we haven't shared with anybody else, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes sense a lot. And uh, in doing, because uh, I work on myself uh, continuously, not only physically with exercise, but uh, also uh, mentally through uh, meditation and other, uh, like silver mind control and also through spiritual practices. And uh, when I return to the things I regret, uh, my biggest regrets are that uh, I could have, but I didn't in several moments, make life better for the souls who uh, I was uh, journeying with through those moments. 
do you ever go back at that point? I mean, you know, do you ever try and reach out and kind of redo it? In my mind, yes. In my mind, uh, when I meditate, I go back and do something uh, very uh, differently. And I believe in a multiverse. So I believe that uh, on some planes of existence or dimensions of existence, that does make a difference. But uh, a lot of times we learn our lessons retrospectively. So in each moment, we do the best that we can with who we are and what we know. Um, but, uh, again, in looking back as we grow and evolve, we could have done better in those moments. So, um, it's not so much a question of right and wrong or good and bad, but it's, uh, the quality of those moments. I could have made life more enjoyable for people had I been, uh, less wrapped up in my own stuff or, you know, whatever. So as I replay my life and, uh, attempt to do it differently, those are the things that, give me the greatest uh, regret. Are you there, Linda? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I accidentally okay. hit the mute button. Um, yeah, I so, didn't know you know, I we all... Go ahead. I know, right? You're panicking now. No, I, I thought I'd need to solve a mechanical problem because uh, Block Talk Radio has been very glitchy lately. So, um, you know, it's one of those things. So uh, a few years ago I was having a conversation with um, one of my coworkers. And, you know, we were talking about our, our shared experience of, um, you know, having lived through adolescence and um, – elementary and high school. And so I was sharing a little bit of my, uh, my own personal experience um, of uh, grade school. And, um, you know, I was brutally, brutally um, bullied as, as a, a kid. I moved, you know, unfortunately, you know, my parents relocated. I was in the, started a new school in the fourth grade. And, um you know, I just basically didn't fit in. I was, um, from a complexionary standpoint, I was darker than uh, most of my classmates. Um, I tended to be a little bit on the Rubenesque side, so I had a little meat on my bones. And um, and unfortunately, I was also very bright. So it was like the trifecta of doom for a, uh, you know, for a girl entering fourth grade as the new kid, you know, because ah. unfortunately, you know, you're bright, uh, you're heavy, and, um, you know, I was um, clearly different in my coloring. And so, you know, I'm sharing my, my personal experiences with this girl. Her name was Mary Beth. And um, she turned around at one point and she said to me, now, mind you, we're like, we're professional adults. We were both licensed right. clinical social workers at this point. We have our master's degrees. We're working in the field. And uh, she turns around and she says to me, I was one of those girls. She said, not in your life. I mean, I didn't, I, you know, she said, but you just described me growing up. She said, I was one of those girls that would, you know, make fun of and, and torment, um, you know, some 
other person because she had her little click and she would tell them which one they were, you know, who they were going to single out and, and, you know, really just work at making them cry. And, and so she said to me, you know, I just want to apologize. She said, I feel like at this point in my life, I need to apologize for having behaved like that, you Mm -hmm. know, as a kid. And so we had this kind of very, you know, cathartic moment uh, for both of us that she, you know, she was able to kind of, you know, not debunk it or minimize my experience and also, you know, um, to kind of see it as a way to move herself forward. And, um, you know, there's no harm in in saying, um, you know what, you're right, or, gee, I'm so sorry. Uh, you know, we don't tend to do that enough, I think, in this culture. But um, but I remember it was just such a, you know, it was just kind of a lovely, feel-good moment. Um, uh-huh. You know, so, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for that in terms of kind of building bridges and helping each other through this um, through this struggle, through the rough. I mean, it, we, we really shouldn't have to wait for, you know, um, the big one, whatever that's going to look like, to kind of rally around one another when we can really make everyday struggles just so much easier um, by kind of sharing that even if it's in just a gentle conversation. Right. Um, I know with bodybuilding, which is something we both share, um, teaching people how to make use of that resistance, make use of that struggle to grow, uh, that's uh, kind of like the biggest gift you can give somebody because some people work out a lot but never make any gains. It's learning how to use the struggle uh, to grow that kind of translates into life as well. Right, right. And, you know, and so that's really, you know, we've all been kind of working on that. And when we've, uh, the meditations that we've done recently um, at the shop, um, you know, have really kind of taken us down that path. And so, you know, you're like, oh, God, Linda, you know, who's who's going to want to come to meditation at the circle? It's... Um, you know, they're not going to feel good, you know. But meditation is not necessarily an escape from your reality. It's an, it's an opportunity to process your reality in a non-judgmental, um, open kind of a way. You know, it's, it's a way to just kind of take the judgment out of the actual experience that you're having and just take a look at it for what it means in your life. Because once you find that meaning in your struggle, uh, it is going to move you forward. It is yes. going to become, you know, part of the fuel that kind of drives you um, into that next place that you're supposed to be. Uh, and so, you know, for me, meditation is a really great, um, way to um, kind of disarm the defense system, if you will, right? Um, and utilize that that opportunity to see yourself um, in the struggle. 
last uh, time we met for meditation, um, we focused on three concepts. We focused on um, there are none so blind as those who will not see. Mm-hmm. There are none there are none so numb as those who will not feel. And there are none um, so um, trapped that they will not heal. And so we, we kind of looked at, we looked at, um, you know, using your inner vision, um, opening up to, you know, feeling all of your emotions, and releasing, letting go. And what we did was, um, you know, I always incorporate stones, right? So we had three different stones, um, one representing inner sight, one representing, you know, um, feeling, and the other one um, release. And so we had them in a pouch, and so each person around the circle reached into the pouch um, and, you know, found the stone that was meant for them, but didn't look at it. Okay. So we we talked about this concept of, you know, seeing, feeling, and releasing. And then we went on our meditative journey. And the meditation, um, as you know, um, I channel these meditations. So uh, the universe will always kind of send me messages as to, um, where we're going to start and where we're going to end. So we're on this journey and we're kind of moving through um, the experience of life. You know, at first you're on this path and everything's new and it's wonderful and it's exciting and there's just beauty around you. Um, and then as the path moves on, um, you start to experience some of the rough. You know, the terrain right. moves from you know, velvety soft moss and beautiful grasses to, you know, uneven surfaces, you know, um, some sharp rocks, uh, some kind of disconcerting um, challenges for your balance that you really, you know, it's not a smooth glide anymore. And somewhere in the middle of all that, Hecate made her appearance. Um, I've been doing a lot of work with with her, um, the torch-bearing goddess of the crossroads. And so she appeared in the meditation, and her message was very clear that she was not there to deliver us from the crossroads. She was simply there to walk with us through the crossroads. But that ultimately... The path was still ours to choose, and she would just lend her support along the journey. And her gift was this mystery stone um, that each person had in their hand. And, you know, at the end of this whole cathartic journey, you know, uh, we were faced with yet one more crossroads. Um, that we needed to make a choice to. And as you stepped onto that final crossroads, it led you back into your body, 
into the amber dragon and into that that current space and so it wasn't until everybody came out of the meditation that they were able to peek and see what stone um was intended for them and so it was really a a very powerful experience because you know we always i shouldn't say always but for the most part we tend to go into a crisis thinking we know what it is how we got there and how we're going to get out of it so mm-hmm. you know in looking at the stone afterwards People were very surprised, you know, because here they thought, you know, moving into this meditation, you know, well, I thought I had a problem with seeing because I don't trust my intuition. But maybe they got the stone for release instead of inner vision. Um, So the conversations that we had afterwards um, were were really very moving. Um, People really you know, talked very openly about um, not just their experience in the meditation, but their interpretation of the stone that they had received from Hecate and uh, where they thought that that would take them. That's very interesting. That That is uh, phenomenally interesting. And um, Hecate has always been in my path, and uh, certainly my connecting with the Amber Dragon was a, a, a connection with Hecate and her work. Well, she's really, um, you know, I, it's so funny because I've, you know, I've, I've got a lot of golden healer quartz um, at one time, and it was really just, I think I created this huge vortex for her to step through because um, since you know, I started working with the Golden Healers. Um, she's basically been a part of um, my everyday. And, um, you know, listening to her wisdom and being able to incorporate that um, and trust it, you know, instead of challenging it uh, has been a very interesting process. And, and again, I, you know, it, it all kind of feeds back into our theme, which is, you know, working through the rough because um, a lot of our resistance, as you know, um, is self-manufactured. Yes. Now, you mentioned the Golden Healers. Can you explain that a little bit more? Sure. So, you know, um, there's no such thing as a new stone, right? So, we know that because they're, you know, they're millions and billions of years old. But, you know, what happens now is that they'll come across a vein of something and, um, you know, somebody will label it something and all of a sudden we're off to the races. And you've got these, you know, these fairly large um, notable folks that uh, in the crystal world that, you know, will publish a book on something and, you know, so it becomes. So Golden Healer Quartz is really not a new quartz. It almost looks like a, like a form of citrine, but, um, you know, it's, it's got that, it really ranges in color from, from golden um, into kind of the murkier browns. And it's, it's, you know, got a lot of inclusions in it, and that's where the color comes from, right? So um, we see a lot of um, iron in, in uh, the quartz crystals, and sometimes, um, you know, those colors are what 
you know, gives the courts um, their definitions. So, um, you know, Golden Healer Courts is now kind of coming into its own. So they've kind of been able to find enough veins of this where they're able to kind of mass produce it, at least for now. Uh, so in my last journey to um, Tucson and then Edison, I was able to purchase um, quite a bit of the material in um, different sized palm stones. And I have a few of the uh, freestanding pieces left as well as a, a beautiful um, sphere in the shop. And, you know, everyone that comes in is compelled to pick this stone up. Um, and so I, I'm always interested to ask people, you know, what are you, what are you feeling and what are you seeing? And everyone is mesmerized by this stone. And I, I have to say that I, you know, people are just buying them very quickly because they just speak to you instantly. Um, you know, they're all about really working on uh, the Akashic record of your soul, you know, your past life, deep wounds, uh, really opening you up to magic and, um, you know, the inner realms. And so it, it's a very powerful stone for this period of time that we're in. It, it can really help you to move through your journey of struggle and, um, you know, kind of be part of the shift. Hmm. Very uh, awesome sounding adventure. I'm looking forward to becoming part of that. And uh, next time I come by the Dragon, I'd like to check out the Healer Sports. Yeah, I think it'd be really great, um, you know, to for you to um, give me your feedback on what you experience, especially because you already have a very well-developed relationship with Hakate. Um, I'm working with a piece now that um, I keep under my pillow. It's, it's about the size of my palm, but it's the shape of a flame. And mm. um, as soon as I picked it up, I saw the image of Hikate. Um It really, you know, it's, it's the symbol of her torch and um, she within it. So um, that piece has become a very powerful tool for me. Ekati is also the goddess of theurgy, which is something we've been doing at the Ember Dragon. And uh, although we've dealt mostly with Hermes and Iris in the work that we've done, Hecate has always been there in a very powerful presence. And um, I learned through the channeling of one of our members that uh, uh, the mysterious lady in white that I've experienced in Lemnos since I was a small child was actually... Uh, Ekati. So uh, that kind of opened up what a whole inexplicable portion of my life was uh, all about. And uh, mm. the theurgists that I've been working with uh, here with our theurgy forum on the station um, will now be um, present to answer the questions of the people in our theurgy group at the Amber Dragon. And uh, the well, books that they're enjoying, um, there are ways where we can use the fact that we've used these books to further promote uh, theurgy, which I'll be presenting in our next uh, workshop. So that's all coming together. And uh, uh, Ekate is not what most people imagine her to be th through the popular literature. No. She's a very caring and brilliant uh, goddess. And uh, 
she deserves to be honored. We have an altar to Hecate and Abis uh, ascending at the top of our stairs in our home. So when, you go, when you're going up the stairs, you're facing this altar because um, although these uh, goddesses and goddesses are normally associated with descent, uh, they're also very much tied with ascent as well. Mhm. Mhm. Well, that's just wonderful. I think that um you know, the more we and you know, talk about a metaphor for life, right? So, you get a one-dimensional view of a goddess because you read something about them right. and you develop this instant aversion. Um, you know, and so you may never go back there again. And how sad because there's something to learn from everyone. I mean, there's no, um, there's, there's really no distinction. I mean, some of the greatest um, philosophers and spiritualists of our time, you know, talk about the relationship between Buddha and, and Christ and, you know, the pagans going all the way back to, you know, the days of uh, King Arthur, right. They worked alongside of the Christian priests and, really saw the message as being one message that, you know, there is really only one spirit, um, but manifesting in many, many ways to speak the language of all people simultaneously. So whenever we, you know, and, and I would really encourage you, you know, anyone who's out there who's reading and exploring to really never accept um, one version of a god or a goddess or an experience or a you know an energy um, you know if if you read something and it challenges you in some way um, or you you feel frightened or upset you know I would encourage you to to dig a little deeper into that you know um, right I, I I see that with people all the time when they come into the shop because you know, they've heard something about a particular stone. Oh, that's, you know, don't touch that one. That's good. That's not good for this. Or that one's going to do this to you. And, you know, I really laugh because I'm like, you know, trust me, it's not going to happen. They don't just spontaneously fly around the shop and hit you in the back of the head. Uh-huh. Um, you know, um, but there's something to be said for that, you know, um, and to try and, again, work through the rough, you know, may involve you taking time to establish that relationship with that right. with that deity or with that dynamic that you have successfully managed to avoid all of your life. That may be the piece that's between you and, you know, your evolution. But you won't know um unless you really go there. You know, so many people come in and, you know, they're like, oh, I, you know, I'm being followed by a demon. Well, can you describe it? Oh, it's pinching me and biting me. And I'm like, really? Really? It's really happening to you. Right now as we speak, something's biting you and pinching you? Oh, no, 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 no. But, you know, we went into this, we went into this abandoned house and we lit a candle and I'm like, oh, Okay, the first thing you have to do is stop watching television. <laughs> the second thing you have to do, you know, and then we, we kind of start from there. And so 
Um, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that, that, you know, challenge yourself, you know, to develop your own relationship and not really listen to somebody else's recommendation for you because you might surprise yourself. That's very true. And uh, I remember when uh, we used to investigate uh, paranormal mysteries in Pennsylvania, which is the last uh, time we did this, uh, although I'm going to start doing it again here in uh, New Jersey in the near future, um, a lot of uh, the tales that we uncovered were stories and that they weren't based on anything factual. And uh, we discovered that stories are very powerful. The people live stories. Uh, and uh, it doesn't matter to them if uh, the stories that they're living are based on objective facts. I'll give you an example. Uh, we investigated uh, one uh, story where uh, the family was being plagued by uh, demons, and the demons produced hot spots and cold spots in their apartment, and these uh, kittens that were born there disappeared. Uh, and were never found again, and so forth. So we listened to the the story, and demons were growling at certain points. So, again, I believe in the possibility of such things. Uh, So uh, I'm pretty open-minded about it. But in investigating, we found that where the kittens disappeared, there was a a storage area with tons of furniture. (laughs) So it's it's not inconceivable the kittens could have gone in there and never come back uh, out. And uh, the hot and cold spots, we brought an engineer with us. Those were due to the heating and ventilation system in the house. So where they were perceiving the hot and the cold, it wasn't unusual for heat and cold to be there uh, because of the way the ventilation system was hooked up. And the demon growling, uh, which they pointed out uh, when we investigated, turned out to be somebody mowing the lawn a few blocks away. And that was the demon sound. So... Factually, none of their facts stood out, but it didn't minimize the fact that they constructed a story that they were living in and that that story was affecting them. So uh, these tales are very uh, powerful, even if they're not based on anything real. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it takes you back to the first time you, you know, you went into one of those interactive haunted houses, right? Right. I mean, I remember going down to... Um, Oh, my God, Brigantine Castle, and going through there, and that was, you know, when that first concept of the interactive, um, you know, uh, haunted castle was going on, and they had um, the local um, uh, theater students were actually the actors in this Brigantine Castle back then. And, um, you know, so you're going through there and you're just completely freaked out. So every sound and every experience um, became cause for alarm. And yet if you walk through the same place with the lights on, you know, and you saw the props and you understood how they worked, um, you know, obviously you wouldn't be so frightened. So the mind is, is so powerful and it does morph um, into seeing what we're kind of convincing it to see. Um, Right. So, you know, so to be able to kind of use that a little differently and and to step back and say, all right, well, what's the, I know what I think I'm seeing here, but where is, you know, where is the possibility, you know, that this might not be a demon, this might not be a 
a possession. It could be something very different. Um, you know, some people just prefer the sensationalism, I think. I think so, too. Plus, uh, it's it's very easy to be caught up into a story of victimization rather than empowerment. And a lot mm-hmm. of these types of tales allow people to uh, explain and present their feelings of victimization and blame them on higher powers that they have no control over. Right, right. Well, you know, we work on that as therapists all the time because um, – you know, nine out of ten people that come into therapy are coming in because they perceive themselves as victims. Um, nobody ever really owns, um, you know, their own shenanigans, if you will. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, you know, and and kind of working with that, um, you know, and, and being able to shed some light on that for people, you have to go very slowly and you have to go very gently because, if you move too quickly, people think that you're casting judgment. And certainly, we don't want to do that. We never want to do it on ourselves. You know, I'd rather believe that I'm, you know, possessed by a demon once a month than say, you know what, this is the hormonal shift because my menses is coming on. Because that mm-hmm. might mean I have a little bit of control over that behavior and, um you know, that throws the world of possibilities wide open. I'd rather just surrender control and um, and be a victim because it's easier sometimes. But, um, but there's definitely a lot of work to be done, and I find that certainly the kind of folks that, you know, come to the Amber Dragon and, and I'm sure come to, you know, your events at the library, they are seekers, and I think they are... Um, you know, a little bit more open-minded about, you know, what all this means and how they can become a productive and active um, participant in what's happening right now. And and I think there's a lot more of that going on. I, I think there are a lot more people out there that are stepping away from the realm of absolutes, of you know, black and white definitions and starting to consider that, um, you know, life is lived in the gray. It's lived in the rough. Uh, and maybe if we just kind of spend a little bit more time here, uh, we'll make it a little bit more pleasant for ourselves and everyone else. Very true, and that's a good place to take a break. Uh, we're going to listen to Bone Poets Orchestra's Cry Freedom And then we'll be back uh, to continue this conversation. Thank you, Linda. Okay, thank you. Says no, I will not remain a sea. 
Welcome back to Voice of Olympus, the Amber Dragon podcast. 
I'm Hercules Invictus, and I am honored to be speaking with Linda Marciniak as we explore the shift and living through the rough. Welcome back, Linda. Oh, thanks, Hercules. It's good to be back. Wow, that was a lot uh, you gave me to consider <laughs> in the first hour. I'm, I'll be meditating on the content for days. Well, uh, thanks. You know, I, I'm sorry that we had some technical difficulties last month. So I think a lot of this has kind of been stored up and kind of spilling all out. It's, uh, you know, it's been quite the journey. Uh, yes, it has. And the information age, uh, despite all the tools and freedoms it gives us, is still in need of some polishing. And uh, um Although uh, I feel bad about all the communication difficulties and uh, uh, difficulties we have with the technology, um, I'm comforted in the way that I see the same things popping up on uh, uh, network type of shows on YouTube. They have some of the similar problems. So it just seems like something we all have to solve. Uh, and until we solve, we all have to live with uh, as we move forward on this uh, technological journey. And, and I think to your point, um, the fact that we're reaching in and saying we need to solve this together, I think that that's such a profound change than just, you know, building separate, um, you know, kind of houses of worship, if you will, where, you know, we all lived in a confined concrete space and nobody kind of moved out of those walls. I think the right. fact that we're kind of reaching – towards each other now and saying, you know what, I think there's something to be gained by us all working together. Um, I think it's very powerful. You know, I look at your podcasts and, um, you know, you've really been a, a, a trendsetter with this. You know, I mean, my my first involvement with you um, with the, the blog talk radio was, you know, you're bringing together um, – you know, a, a variety of different spiritualists to talk about a common theme and to kind of move towards, um, you know, kind of unification. And uh, I, I think that that's really the, the key. I think that's really where we need to move. I believe so as well. And it's done a lot of good for for all the facts that it's a dinky little show still, uh, despite its uh, growth, it still has a lot more to grow. Um, it's uh, connected me with people throughout the planet who want to um, increase the communication between different uh, faiths and find ways of our uh, working together. And uh, even off of the show, I've been working with people uh, very far afield who are doing that. And like currently I'm coordinating efforts with a uh, magical group in Chicago. Uh, the magician who has been involved in my life on and off throughout my entire journey in presenting a non-mythological um, ascension and magical system. You know, what would happen if we, instead of focusing on the cultures that seem to divide us, even though we favor them, and even though they've created these roads to higher awareness, what if we just focused on the roads to higher awareness? And uh, we started a project where all of the wisdom can be gained through books that you can get in Target <laughs> or things that you can listen to on YouTube and see if we can create the same understandings uh, and the same insights 
that are uh, more culturally focused uh, paths uh, can uh, um, produce. I'm working with people at Yan to, uh, again, take the things that I've developed for the Olympian path, like uh, the uh, cave of the centaur and the owl of the enchantress, both of which I've run and am running in the Ember Dragon, and applying them to Afro-Caribbean type of systems or Celtic uh, systems. So there seems to be in the change agents a strong desire motivated by the gods they serve to transcend culture and have us stop killing each other over differences of opinion or interpretation about where we come from, why we're here, and where we're headed. So it's mm. an awesome thing. Well, and I think, I think it's so important to have the conversations and to have the conversations in, with folks that you never really would have thought are really thinking along those lines. I think that's, for me, one of the one of the more profound lessons of kind of being where I am um, at the Amber Dragon is that, you know, it, it's kind of opened my eyes to never kind of um, trying to second guess, you know what I mean, what somebody's capable of. And right. so that's kind of moved, it, it's kind of moved into my, you know, my daily life as well, because people now are, you know, we talk about the most interesting things. And if you, if you really just kind of open yourself up to that um, and share a little bit, um, sometimes you'll be quite surprised. You know, a few oh, weeks yes. ago, um, I'm um, at my, at my day job, I'm uh, one of the members of the, um, culture of compassion team and so you know we've been tasked with um, finding ways of um, really kind of embedding compassion in the culture of the hospital that we work in and also identifying um, how people are already um, you know, demonstrating compassion for one another. And so we had our uh, annual compassion fair a couple of weeks ago, and um, it's really a fun day for me. I get to dress um, a little bit more bohemian, and uh, I, I get to bring in my bowls and my, my drums and kind of play uh, music and work with people around vibrational and sound healing. And so since I did that two weeks ago, and last year was really kind of a very foreign concept, you know, people were intrigued, but not what I would consider interested. And this year was a very different shift. And, you know, people have been just approaching me all over the hospital to um, tell me about their personal experiences with the bowls or, you know, really share um how meaningful it was for them to experience the bulls that day. And it's gotten to such a point where I, I'm, I'm going to reach out to the, um, you know, the employee engagement committee, and I'm going to suggest that, you know, we have another day where, you know, people can bring in their own bulls um, if they already have one, or I can bring in a couple of, uh, you know, ones from the shop and really just 
open it up into kind of a, a lunch and learn session where people can just come in and um, explore the, you know, the impact that vibrational sound healing has on them personally. So, um, you right. know, I never would have thought that that, that would be part of, of, you know, the goings on in my day job. And yet by taking that chance and exposing myself, you know, um, it's really paid off. And that's an awesome uh, thing to be able to experience, that you can be yourself and who you are and express yourself in the way that you are and have it accepted by your uh, profession. Uh, I enjoyed that in New York when I was still part of the human services. And uh, I enjoy it to some extent now where I'm not part of the human services, but I'm, I'm still fairly active in my community. Uh, people are very aware of uh, who I am, my spirituality, and my unorthodox views, and they seem to embrace it. Um, and uh, um, I think part of the reason is I don't beat, beat people over the head with what I happen to think about why we're here, uh, what this is all about, where we're going, and so forth. And uh, I freely share what my journey is all about, but I'm open uh, to listening to what other people's journeys are all about as well. Well, and I think that that goes a long way, you know, um, really just the attitude of tolerance and that at the, you know, at the very least, if, if you don't share the belief system, just appreciate the story, appreciate the journey. Nobody's right. asking you to sign on the dotted line, you know what I mean, to give your blood and, and you know, cast your lot with this particular group if it's not something that's speaking to you but if you just silence your doubt and silence that debunking voice that we've all kind of you know developed um, for ourselves and just listen to the journey right. listen to the story um, that's being presented to you you may find um, a seed or two in there that you can then take you know, and grow your own thing with. Yes. Um, anything's possible, you know, anything's possible. Almost certainly so. And uh, um, I've discovered through the course of this uh, radio program that some beliefs that I um, thought I had nothing in common with actually have a great deal in common with. And uh, in mm. the interfaith and interideological approach, like for instance, one of the new shows that I'm developing, uh, my co-host or my uh, um, the person I communicate with is a conservative Republican. And uh, ideologically, we stand in very different areas because I'm more of a progressive uh, Democrat. Uh, so we don't agree on a lot of things, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a phenomenal amount of things that we do agree upon. So that's been an interesting journey in that, uh, we're very polarized right now as a nation and as a world. So if we can have civil discourse with people that we don't see eye to eye with uh, and find that we have a lot in common and work from our commonality, I believe that that's a powerful thing that, that far transcends, uh, you know, the, whatever we happen to be conversing about or talking about. That no, I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to see the world the same way that you do. But there are things we share uh, and on those things, we can build and we can do something together. And we'll sort the rest of it out later. 
Uh, right now, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of people are not. They're just fighting each other, and we're, we're getting nowhere with it. Well, and, and again, I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for just surrendering your, you know, your need to define someone else or your need to define a situation. And, um, you know, those those tendencies tend to give us a sense of security that we have some kind of control over it. You know, if I can quickly label it, I can kind of move it out of my, you know, my focus or feel like I've contained it in some way into the, you know, the, the boundaries that I've created by the label. Whereas if I'm just present experiencing it, um, there's no telling where that can take me. And, uh, right. you know, that's a little frightening. You know, it's like, it's like um, Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator, right? I mean, anytime you got on the elevator with Willy Wonka, there was no telling on, you know, where you were going to end up. And unless you have a, a, a pretty firmly developed, sense of adventure you know most people are going to just stop getting on the elevator with Willy Wonka because it's just too it's too stress inducing it's too fretful Um, and you know we we kind of limit ourselves that way Um, so it's good to just be open to experiences you know remind yourself that you're not married to the experience um, certainly you should never, you know, agree to do something you're not comfortable with doing. Um, but you might find something out about yourself that you didn't know just by um, allowing that other person to share their experience with you. Right. Uh, and you find out that, again, the world is not uh, as you define it. One of the things that... Uh, actually was a a profound eye-opener for me was that uh, in the current environment, uh, I was getting most of my news from comedians. (laughs) And that struck me as very odd uh, that uh, that's where I'd be getting my news and that's uh, what I'd be basing my opinions on. Uh, So again, although I wouldn't describe myself as a right-wing or Republican in any way, uh, I had to really examine the the stories that I was listening to and basing my reality on and whether those stories were actually uh, valid or not. And that was, that was uh, phenomenally profound in the effect that it had on me. Mm. And think about uh, what would have happened if, if you hadn't, if you hadn't opened yourself up to that Hercules, you know, think of how limiting that would have been. It's a tragedy right. really. Yeah, it would have been, and I'd, I'd be ready, ready to battle other people who didn't see things the same way I did when I was seeing things uh, through a distorted lens, uh, the same distortions that uh, I'd be accusing them of seeing the world through. Mm-hmm. And it, question, it questions your reality, and you, be, you begin to become aware of the power of stories, because we're not really set up to understand reality as it actually is. Uh, we live in stories, whether they're stories that our uh, family told us or society told us or we told ourselves. Uh, a lot of times these lenses are, are stories, and we try to make sense 
uh, out of everything through the stories that we've accepted as true. And we rarely question how um, true the stories that we've accepted are. We just kind of believe the true and everything else is false. And, and uh, that is not a healthy way of looking at the world. Well, and I agree with that, you know, and I think that, you know, we're kind of the messengers of that, you know, we're kind of, we're out there kind of role playing, I think, the kind of inclusion and acceptance that, you know, we're looking for in other people. And, um, and in the end, I, I think that that message is louder than, you know, any um, form of, uh, you know, rhetoric or, or jargon that's out there. Um, even if you're scared to death, I mean, you know, <laughs> nobody, nobody says, it's again, that it's comfortable. I mean, it's not. You know, when you're in the rough, you're right. in the rough. Um, but to be open to that and to kind of use that as a vehicle to kind of move people along with you, I, I think that's very powerful, and I, I think you do that very well. Well, thank you. Um, I grew up uh, Greek, as you know. You're you're Italian also, so mm-hmm. I'm sure you can identify with some of this. Mm-hmm. And Greeks, uh, regardless of their Greek orthodoxy, uh, share a belief that uh, they're not the same as other people. They're descended from gods. Uh, and that uh-huh. comes across very clearly, uh, regardless of, again, professions uh, to Greek uh, orthodoxy. And when I went to a Greek parochial school, um, th- that was, uh, you know, pretty much uh, taught uh, very uh, heavily, and we were taught as much mythology and ancient philosophy as we were taught uh, the Christian uh, religion. And although it didn't have that effect on many uh, of the students, otherwise they would do it differently, uh, for me, I always identified more with the Greek mythology, and that resonated uh, much more powerfully and more clearly uh, in my psyche uh, than, than the uh, um, new religion uh, stories uh, resonated. So I went through uh, life with that type of uh, orientation, that uh, there are many divine powers, that these uh, powers uh, intermingle with humanity and create uh, um, hybrids, as it were, and that uh, there was a continuous um, quest towards certain ends that the gods uh, had. So it became very, very uh, real to me. And although I spent many years exploring um, other belief systems, and some of them I lingered in very long, like the the Nordic and the Celtic belief systems and the Zoroastrian belief system and Hinduism uh, and so forth, my journey eventually brought me back to my beginnings and to my initial resonances. And what it did was it made me appreciate these resonances more, but also because I experienced different things to remain open to other ways of, of doing things. So spirituality became not only something that it was our responsibility to share, uh, but also to leave our ears open for other people's interpretations because they were just as valid. And, you have to kind of be able to put your ego aside to do that right. and kind of move away from the black and white thinking. And, you know, again, that that's fear-based. And when you start to, again, you know, embrace the struggle, embrace the moment, embrace the challenge, 
you, you'll find that you're, I think you're able to do that more. Um, you're able to listen and you're able to kind of consider the value in other people's life experience, even if it's so different than your own. Oh, correct, because it is. It's a story. It's an unfolding tale. And uh, we seem to be, all of us, um, these subtle nuances in these stories that have gone on forever. And uh, a lot of people remark about uh, my Hercules moniker, and they think it has to do with ego. It's actually something very different. It's a surrender of ego. I recognize that my patterns are part of, the, part of this endless tale, and I've decided to give myself to this endless tale to help it play out positively. Uh, so it's not really an ego thing at all. Uh, it's more of a surrender of an ego type of thing. And uh, mm. the, these stories are very empowering, and the conclusions that they lead to us are very universal. Like uh, once you go down the path of we're gods and you realize that you're divine, the next thought that comes into your head is so is everything else. <laughs> so exactly. you've got that realization, exactly. you're divine, but so is everything else. So, okay, there you go. Uh, ego gotten rid of. You know, you can't uh, uh, luxuriate in the understanding that you are a god or a goddess, you know, because everything else is god and goddess at the same time. Very true. And, and you know, unfortunately, you know, it, that doesn't bode well for, for you know, um, those those areas of belief that, you know, hold themselves up as, as so different and so unique that you have to literally buy in um, to kind of be, become a member. I mean, if you consider that, you know, we are all representations of divinity, um, then we're already in. There is no special club, you know. Right. There is no, um, you know, elitist kind of mentality because we're all part of the same fabric and, uh you know, so that kind of makes us equals. And, um, you know, as Westerners, we kind of struggle with the idea of, you know, equals. You know, we kind of right. like having that, you know, having that hierarchy, having that established, you know, chain of command. Um, even if it, it's just to give us somebody to rally against, um, it's still an important piece for us yet. And I, I don't know that we're... I don't know that in our lifetimes that we're going to see a complete evolution away from that, but um, I, I do believe that that is definitely part of this this kind of shift, this morphing that's going on. There's an encouraging uh, movement, too, in uh, people uh, um, accepting responsibility for their lives uh, despite uh, uh, the spiritual path. I remember uh, I was a channel back in the 1970s uh, for a metaphysical group that was theosophically and spiritually uh, based. Uh, right now they call it like an I am movement type of group, but back then there wasn't that uh, label for it. It was just called the work. And part of the reason why I left, and I was their channel, so truth was coming through me, was that it disturbed me to see grown people 
um, acting on what was coming out of the mouth of a teenager, essentially, you know, even though I believe the information to be correct and uh, the people who were in charge of uh, checking that information for veracity were also uh, assuring everybody that it was correct, because I believe that humans should have responsibility for their decisions and not defer that responsibility because a spirit told them to. So um, nowadays there, there seems to be less people willing to abdicate that responsibility and to hold the opinion of the divine uh, as I do as an opinion, one worth listening to certainly, but the responsibility for our decisions should rest with us alone and not uh, be blamed on divine sources if they don't turn out the way we expect them to. Hmm. Again, that's, you know, I, that's the work of somebody who's been able to check their ego and, um, you know, as a role model and a, and a source, uh, especially, you know, um, you know, being a man and being able to do that. Um, not that, you know, women are, are so much uh, farther evolved. It's just the expectations, the external expectations of the society kind of, you know, prohibit that level of, of enlightenment a lot of times. But I, I think that, um, you know, we do as um, needs to be done. And if we can role model through our actions and our words um, and our consistency, um, I think that that's really important. You know, so many times we see a, a kind of a coming together and a bonding that occurs in a time of crisis, which kind of brings us all to this communal place and we just feel, you know, kind of wonderful and warm and fuzzy. And, and then the more distance, um, that, you know, we put between ourselves and the crisis because, you know, time moves on and, and you know, things are repaired, things are replaced. Um, we find ourselves becoming strangers again with the very right. people that, you know, literally had just reached across the aisle um, not that long ago um, to kind of demonstrate this this sense of unity and for me that that's always been a big like what's that about you know what I mean Um, I've always struggled with that level of duplicity because it it speaks to agendas you know it speaks to you know something outside of just genuine commitment because if we really truly were connected to one another, there'd be no distinction between, you know, um, crisis and non-crisis. We would just be connected. And um, I remember after I, um, you know, after I graduated from high school and had kind of uh, moved on with my life, um, you know, I would run into to people from time to time that I had you know, shared classroom time with between grade school and high school. And, of course, now, you know, everybody's on the other end of that continuum because, you know, we've all shared a little bit of life experience. And and so people would just approach me and be like, hey, you know, how are you? How have you been? And I'd kind of look at these people and I'd say, I'm sorry, do do I know you? Knowing full well who they were, you know what I mean? Uh They're like, this 
say, I, you know, I'm sorry, but what's changed about me? You know, how did I go from being, um, you know, an untouchable to being somebody that you would, you know, voluntarily, you know, move towards in the mall or an open place to engage in, you know, conversation. So I'm not quite sure what's happened. I, I think I'm the same person I was, um, but obviously your, um, you know, your expectations have changed, your perceptions have changed. So I think consistency is really the other piece to this. So when we talk about moving through the rough, you know, moving through the struggle, um, making those commitments, to ourselves and one another. I think, you know, the furthering of that challenge is the concept of consistency, you know, and to do it 100% of the time. And what's that going to take? You know, what does that look like for you? Everybody has that feel-good moment in a crisis where they extend themselves to somebody else and, you know, perhaps puff their chest up and feel like they did something. But where are you two weeks later? You know, where are you a month later? Um, I think that becomes the question. That's an interesting observation. Athena and I run into that all the time because uh, right now a lot of people consider us very cool, uh, whereas back in, uh, I guess, high school, people considered us very strange. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. Strange, you went to cool, and people are always remarking how cute we are uh, as a couple. And I don't think cute has ever been applied to me in all my many years uh, <laughs> as much as it's been applied to me recently. So I wonder too um, <laughs> what has changed in people's perceptions right. that what was right. odd and strange and eccentric and to be uh, you know, viewed with suspicion has become cool and cute uh, in the intervening years. You know, it's it's funny. I I um, an old old friend of mine came into the shop yesterday, and um, you know, this guy and I we worked together um, back in the mid '80s, um, and we literally were a mutt and Jeff pair. I mean, I uh-huh. you know from the from the height concept that he's you know uh, heads and shoulders uh, taller than I am. To our philosophical backgrounds, our spiritual belief systems, you know, our, um, you know, our definition of gender assigned roles, you know, it really, it was just such a, a fun time in my life to, um, you know, really pick apart his belief system and, and challenge him on so many levels. And so here he comes into my shop yesterday because he, he happened to be driving through town and. Um, saw me walking down the street, and he had his um, his girlfriend with him, and um, you know, so we walk. He walks into the shop, and his girlfriend had actually been in my shop before, and, and we had had a lovely exchange, and I had actually given her a gift of a rose quartz because um, it had reminded her of her mother, and uh, so you know. We have this common ground, her and I. So we're sitting there, you know, we're laughing. And, and this guy is just kind of, you know, shaking his head and trying to explain to his girlfriend how he thought he had kind of broken me of all of this 
you know, years ago. And, you know, so I'm, I'm kind of standing there smiling and um, <laughs> he's going, you know, I, I thought I had shown her the path of, of right and wrong and good and bad. And she's kind of looking at him and saying, well, you know, who was right and who was wrong? And I'm kind of looking at the guy going, yeah, you know, Dave, you know, tell me who was right and who was wrong, you know. Um, but it was such a, a, an amusing experience, um, you know, to kind of go back into that and, and, you know, realize that at the time, you know, my perception was that I was expanding his horizons and right. his um, his perception was that he was, shrinking mine, quote-unquote, you know, back down to normal. So <laughs> we've, we've both managed to go on and, and grow and evolve, um, you know, in spite of it all. Uh, but it's funny when you when you see your life viewed through somebody else's eyes, you know, it does right. kind of give you a moment, right? Yeah, it, it, it most certainly does. And, uh uh, a lot of times their view of uh, the heroic struggle that you are undergoing is not as flattering <laughs> as the story you are telling yourself. So <laughs> that's always a bit humbling. <laughs> uh, that, is, that is very true, very true. But it's so we've kind of uh... that move us into meaning, which is, uh, you know, all about the shift and uh, um, living through the rough. It's, uh, finding a greater meaning for what we're undergoing, letting it transform us and uh, turn us into uh, hopefully better and certainly more understanding and compassionate uh, people. And uh, you're really great at that. Oh, thank you very much. Um, I, I think it's because I've spent so much of my life in the rough. <laughs> uh, um, as have I. You know, and, and I think really that's the key is, is you know, if you if you get one thing out of these ramblings, it's really um, don't be so quick to discard that which you perceive as broken or ugly or foreign to you. Um, take some time, you know. Um, get to know the lay of the land, as challenging um, as that may be. You know, take your shoes off and. Really um, immerse yourself uh, in in that in that challenging um, you know ground beneath your feet. I mean, allow yourself to experience it um, and see where it takes you. I, I don't think that um, you're going to be sucked up in the quicksand of your own experience. Right. I think you know. The key here is to remember the fun house rule, right? Um, when it gets to be too challenging, simply turn on the light um, and look around. Uh, but until then, um, you know, allow yourself to explore. It, it could be quite an eye-opening experience. Oh, right. M most uh, certainly so. Um, I look at the stories that uh, people uh, tell on the news now uh, as well, and it's called uh, being in control of the narrative where you have all these uh, competing stories and uh, uh, whatever the accepted story is, that becomes a truth for uh, many people. And I start uh, asking myself, uh, 
what is my current narrative that I'm telling? What are the narratives of other people around me? And it's really eye-opening to discover that uh, very literally and profoundly, we're different. We're living in different universes, and the, these universes are built by what we tell ourselves uh, is happening to us. Sure. And and you know you don't want to become a prisoner in that. You know you don't want no. to become a prisoner. You know behind a wall that you've constructed yourself um, because of you know your ego, because of fear, because of the messages that you've received in the past, you know, um, now is the time, you know, um, just kind of shed that stuff and see where it takes you. And words have great power. In all my workshops, I, uh, I go over this and I give two examples. Uh, one is I tell people, you know, to relax a little bit and then imagine my fingernails scratching a blackboard, <laughs> And there is no blackboard and there are no fingernails uh, scratching that blackboard. But people feel very real feelings based on that uh, hypothetical scenario. Uh, And the same thing, I have them imagine a lemon and we go through this whole process of touching the lemon and smelling the lemon and then cutting the lemon and then dripping lemon drops on your tongue. And people will taste the sensation of sourness. Uh, Again, even though there's no lemon and there's no knife and, uh, and no lemon juice. So words are much more powerful than we imagine they are. And our words to each other and our words to ourselves have very profound uh, effects uh, that we don't even suspect unless we take the time to uh, explore it. So thoughtless comments and uh, hurtful uh, uh, statements all have a much more profound effect. Uh, then we give them credit for, as do positive ones as well. So once you become aware of the power of words, uh, you have to become very careful of your words because they can change lives. Oh, you know, without a doubt, Hercules. And there's, you know, there's a big difference between, you know, the voice in your head um, and, you know, the perception of the message that you have when it's self-contained versus what it truly sounds like, you know, when you utter it out in the world, you know, when you yes. when you speak your truth, you know, every word that comes out of your mouth that you hear through that external ear um, is a definition of yourself as you move forward. And, you know, think about that, you know, what is the last thing that you want somebody to think about you, you know, and make your words, make your words, kind of move that message forward uh, rather than the other way around. We certainly don't want to be defined um, by our words. We really want to use our words um, to define ourselves. And there's a little bit of a difference in that, you know, but there's a lot of power uh, there. And um, that's a... I think that's a uh, you know a conversation in and of itself. That that'll be for another show. We only have like ten more minutes on this one, so we can't scratch the surface. But uh, definitely, that's something worth uh, uh, exploring. And uh, our definitions uh, of ourselves as well, because the same words may mean different things to us than they mean for other people. Uh, one of the examples I use are uh, gentle and noble. They mean something to us now, 
but the same words a few hundred years ago, if somebody was noble, they were of the nobility. And if someone was gentle, they were of the gentry. So they could happily chop peasants up into tiny pieces for no reason and still be noble and gentle by their definition. But in our uh, vocabulary, it means something totally different. And noble and gentle people these days wouldn't be doing things uh, like that. So a lot of times uh, the terms that people use to define themselves, like, for instance, uh, we're familiar with uh, people who follow the old ways. And one of the words they use to describe themselves is a witch. And to people who follow the old ways, it's not a negative term. Uh, And it connotes a certain path uh, of the old traditions. But the people who are not familiar with that, the word uh, connotes uh, evil. And they equate it with all sorts of things in the stories that they've heard that have absolutely nothing to do with what it's really all about. Uh, And that really acts as a barrier to communication because they're not willing a lot of times to listen past the stories that they've been told and to uh, discover what the reality is uh, of the the circumstances that they're confronting. Sure, sure. And that really is the age-old, you know, dilemma here with that kind of stuff. And it, it goes back to really what we were talking about earlier where, you know, don't let anybody else define your truth. Um, right. Don't let anybody else, you know, um, you know, make that definition that prevents you from doing your own exploration. And it's very easy to do, you know. Um, and to your point about books, because, you know, you and I are both um, bibliophiles and we yes. love to read books. But, you know, I read books and consider them, you know, one more form of an, of a conversation. So, you know, I don't necessarily take somebody's um, opinion as doctrine in a book, you know, if they are addressing something, um, you know, it's just more feedback for me. It's just, you know, another dimension to, um, to help in my own personal exploration of that topic um, or that concept, or that um, that person, or or that deity, and um, you know, just like we are very quick to you know discard um, the conversations that we hear from certain people in our lives, we have to be able to kind of take that step back and and really consider that even those folks that are quote unquote experts um, are coming at their topic. Um, with their own agenda kind of firmly in place. So, you know, take what you will, um, take what serves you, and certainly surrender the rest. That is very astute, and um, I was taught that lesson very powerfully on a couple of occasions, almost personal, uh, when I was rehired by uh, Elmhurst Hospital to fix the uh, pre-vocational programs that I created. Uh, that weren't running uh, like they were when I was uh, um, supervising them. Um, when I met with one of the counselors who was running the office skills uh, training program, um, everything that I suggested, she would counter it with, no, we don't do things that way. No, we can't do things that way. So I asked her why she thought we don't or we can't. And she said because right. it was in the manual. And I said, okay, can you bring me the manual? Uh, and she wrote the manual, I looked at it, and then I opened and pointed 
uh, and I showed her who authored that manual. That was me. <laughs> I wrote these things for a totally different time and a totally different set of circumstances uh, because the clients who we were getting at the time were very different than the clients that they were getting then. So I even sure. said in the manual that these are just guidelines, you know, to help get them through various uh, uh, points and not that they were the answers to everything that they may encounter. Uh, and the other uh, point was with Manly Palmer Hall, who's a scholar of great uh, metaphysical import. And I couldn't have done anything even as remotely as he's accomplished with his books. But even though in his broad brushstrokes of various things, he's correct and insightful, if you look at the details, and because I know the uh, Greek material, I'm very familiar with the details, he's wrong in just about all of his details. You know, his broad picture is correct and insightful, but his details are all wrong. So it taught me right. to not accept everything I'm reading, to, you know, basically this is their opinion, this is their interpretation. Uh, it's more learned than mine in many cases, so you should consider it, but it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you should buy it, uh, you know, without questioning it. Right, right. And I think that that's true of a lot of the messages that we receive, you know, Take it in, you know, hear it for what it is, decide what parts of it really kind of fit and speak to you, discard the rest. But I think the key is, you know, don't discard with judgment on your tongue. Right. Because, again, you have to know that there's somebody standing in the wings that's ready to judge what you're saying. Um, Right. Because that's the nature of the beast here. So, again, if you want to be a role model – um, of tolerance and acceptance and evolution, if you really want to um, become an active member in the shift, uh, it's quite simple. Just start with yourself. You know, start that one little ball rolling within you. You know, um, what does the shift mean? How is that going to kind of make itself manifest in you? Uh, what are you looking for? You know, what's it going to look like to you? You know, take some time. Journal some entries. You know, write about the meaning of all this for you um, and see where it takes you. Right. And uh, that that is uh, very true, and that leads for uh, lots of open uh, dialogue and uh, open-mindedness. I point out to all my students who attend anything that I teach that they could say something during the course of my instruction that will change my mind, and it will alter That's everything true. I say from that point on. So uh, I, I've looked at this stuff for my entire life, and I've looked at it intensely. So what I share has value, and what I share is uh, stands on as firm a foundation uh, as I can make it uh, stand on. Uh, but again, I've moved uh, in different places throughout my life, and I might change my mind. So at that point, I'll share something uh, different. So uh, uh, nothing I say is etched in, in stone, you know, and uh, uh, that's how I accept every other teaching, too. It's, it's an opinion. It might be one more informed than I would formulate. It might be one based on material yeah. I'm not familiar with, but it's still, it's, it's an opinion. True, true. Because we're all kind of evolutionary beings, you know, and, right. um, you know, I think there's there's a lot to be said for that. Um, so I think the world of absolutes is, is really a very tragic one. And 
I don't think it's one we have room for anymore. Um, to really embrace the shift means kind of walking towards the middle way and accepting that, um, you know, with a level of kind of tolerance and acceptance and openness that, um, again, everyone is is kind of moving through the rough and that includes you. And yeah. how do we all get out of this thing together? You know, how how do we? Um, get to the next level together because I don't know that we can do it separately. I agree with you, and on those words, we must conclude our journey for today. Um, I've uh, put links to both your Facebook page and the Amber Dragons uh, on the announcement for uh, today's uh, journey. Is there any other way people can get in contact with you? Well, um, the best way really is to check out my Facebook page, the Amber Dragon. Um, or my Instagram um, page, which is also at the Amber Dragon. Um, and you can DM me. You can reach out to me through um, any one of those those sites. Um, the best place to do is to head on out to the Dragon on any Saturday or Sunday um, and experience the community for yourself. Um, you know, there's great things going on there. There's uh, a big comfy couch, and there's always someone um, – talking about something intriguing uh, in that corner of, of our world. So I look forward to uh, seeing you all at the Dragon and Hercules. Look forward to your next journey there um, the second weekend in July. As do I. Thank you again, Linda Marciniak. This was an awesome conversation. I wish you well, and I wish all our listeners well. Until next time, this is Hercules and Linda wishing you joyous journeys and happy adventure. Bless the day. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Mm-hmm.